the most beautiful sermon you'll ever hear is the laughter of a child. And uh, that's, that's a great blessing in a church to have so many children and have so much laughter and so much joy in worship. So it's good to be with you this morning. Um, some of you uh, don't know me. Some of you do. I'm Andy Stoddard. I'm lead pastor here at St. Matthew's. And uh, it's my privilege to get to preach here in Intersection today. Um, so uh, I'm so glad to be with you. We say welcome to you. Particularly if you're a guest, we are so honored if you're a guest that you would choose to spend part of your Sabbath day with us here at St. Matthew's. So thank you for choosing to worship with us here if you're a guest and to our regular attenders and members, thank you for worshiping with us now. I believe there's, um, and to friends worshiping with us online, we say thank you for choosing to worship with us online this morning. Uh, I believe there's some, um, there's a little QR code on your announcement insert. If you're a guest, we'd love to have, connect with you. If you'll take a moment, take your smartphone and scan that and let us know if you're here. We'd love to connect with you and I believe we have some a chance to uh, turn in some attendance registrations later as well today for those of you that are here with us. So thanks for being with us. And like I said, we'd love to connect with you if you're a guest and just thank you for worshiping with us here at St. Matthew's. Today's um, uh, reading is going to come from one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Colossians. Uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote uh, to a church uh, and it really unpacks a lot of what Laura talked about this morning during the children's message, uh, this concept of Jesus Christ being king. So I invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're reading verses 11 through 20 of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred into us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have first place in everything." For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace the blood of his cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a saying I'm sure you've heard before. Um, you should never meet your heroes. Because, you know, particularly when you're younger, we have these heroes in our life. And, and you build them up to such a point that even if they're good people, they can't possibly measure up to your expectations of who they are. If you go into my office here at the church, you're going to see, this is going to sound creepy, but I promise you it's not creepy. I have a shrine to Will Clark in my office. It's not creepy. I have an autographed baseball by Will Clark. I have his rookie card encased in a little little thing. I have, some of y'all my age, remember, remember starting lineup, the little action figures you can get of sports and athletes back in the 80s and 90s? I have his starting lineup sitting there with his famous stance. Like, I know it sounds creepy, but I just, I just love Will Clark. When I was a little boy, 
I always wanted to be a baseball player. I was never any good at baseball. I played football because I was big and I got in the way. It was just hard to get around me, you know, so that was helpful. But I wanted to be a baseball player. And I can't do anything that involves a stick and a ball. I just can't do it. Baseball, golf, tennis, I'm terrible at all of them. But I wanted so bad to be a baseball player. And I wanted to be like Will Clark. So I would, I would be, I'd listen to the games and watch the games on TV and I, I'd practice his style. You know, Will Clark, if you know baseball and know him, he had a very particular batting style and he had a beautiful swing. And I would, I would sit up at night and pretend to be Will Clark. I, I, just, I just loved him. He was, he was, to this day, probably my favorite athlete that I've ever that I've ever had. Uh, the only, the older I get, you know how it is when you get older, you have less time to devote to sports. So about the only team that I really truly care about in sports anymore are the San Francisco Giants. Love the Giants. And it's primarily because of Will Clark. He was my hero. I thought he was the best baseball player I ever saw. Had a friend of mine who did heating and air conditioning work and worked on one of his hunting camps. And he said, I met Will Clark the other day. I said, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to know if he's a great guy. I don't want to know if he's a terrible guy. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Because in my mind, you had the Holy Trinity and you had Will Clark right there underneath. I know that's not accurate, but that's how I had built him up in my mind. And I would have hated to have been disappointed in finding out that this man that I looked up to and thought was the greatest player I ever saw, if he wasn't as good a guy as I wanted him to be. It's, a, it's an earth-shattering thing when your heroes fail, isn't it? How many of us might have been out of church for a long time because that certain preacher we looked up to fell, made a mistake. Maybe they didn't even fall. Maybe they were just mean to you. You're like, I'm done. I'm done with religion because of what that person there did. I know a lot of folks like that. I've met very few actual atheists in my life. Met some, but not a lot but I've met a lot of folk angry at God. And a lot of their anger from God comes from church hurt. It does. And to this day, probably the most impactful sermon I've ever preached in my entire ministry was a sermon I preached in Ripley. Where it was a series I called, I have it called, I have a friend. And it was basically, I have a friend that struggles with this or I have a friend that struggles with that. And one of the sermons I preached was, I have a friend who's been hurt by the church. And when I moved three years later, I had folks coming up to me and saying that sermon right there is the reason why I've stayed in church. Not that the sermon was any good. It wasn't a good sermon, it was terrible. But the fact that I could say as a pastor, yeah, we blow it, y'all. No pastor died for your sins. Only one person died for your sins, that person was Jesus. I'm just so moron and is all that I am. So I would strongly, strongly, strongly advise you from putting me on a pedestal or advise you from idolizing me in any way. I'm not planning to mess up. It's not on my agenda. I, don't, I hope I don't have to say anything stupid or fireable this morning in the sermon. 
Could happen. <laughs> it could. We have to be careful who we deify. Be careful meeting your heroes. So in light of that, I want to reread to you some of today's passage. Start with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him the fullness of God is pleased to dwell so through him, God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. We see here today in this passage who it is that we should idolize. We see in this passage today who it is that our life should be built around. We see in this passage today who it is that we should put all the stock of our lives in. And it's not another human it's not even the saintly folk who have raised us and molded us and shaped us. But who is it in our life that is truly deserving and worthy of our praise and our worship and our entire lives? It's Jesus, y'all. It's Jesus. And this world, y'all, this world, our faith, the church, we have so many, hmm, Tempting idols. You know, it's, it's easy. It's easy to not worship the idol from Indiana Jones. You know, if you saw Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, the idol that they all worship that could pull the guy's heart out and show it to him. Spoilers alert. I'm sorry. It's an old movie. You should have seen it by now. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I hope you've seen it by now. If not, I just spoiled it for you. It's easy, it's easy to avoid those idols. Those idols are easy, y'all. I'm not worried about any of y'all doing like, doing like um, uh, uh, Aaron and taking your gold and making a golden calf and toting that golden calf around your house. Not worried about that for most of my church followers. That, those are easy idols to defeat. But the idols that are hard to defeat, the idols that whisper to us are the idols that aren't bad. You know, the idols that really aren't bad. I mean, everybody needs a good job, right? Right? I mean, we all want to have a good job. We all want to be successful at it. We all want the respect and admiration of our colleagues. That's, that, that's a good thing. But that thing is not Jesus. If that thing takes the play, the, takes, as the text said today, that Jesus Christ demands first place in all things. But if that good thing, like your job, takes first place in your life, then it can become an idol. I, I love my wife more than anything in this world outside of my Savior. And if any of you know my wife, you know that, well, first off, she is a saint, for she married me. 
but she is of questionable mind and spirit because she chose to marry me, so she can't really be that smart. Nobody put a gun to her head. That was a choice she made, and she knew what she was getting, so that's on her. I love her. She is the sunlight in my life that has softened my hard edges. I am by nature a dark and cynical person. I am by nature someone who expects bad things to happen. It's just a matter of time before I get fired. We all know it's coming. I mean, that's the way this is going to end. I was really upset when they put those um, fences by the underpasses up behind North, under Northside Drive. Because, like, where am I going to sleep when I get fired? Like, that's where I'm going. That's my nature. I'm very dark and cynical by nature. She's positive. And she has been God's act of redemption to me. Outside of my Savior, no one has done more to change my life than her. Yet she cannot replace Jesus on the throne of my heart. The hard idols to defeat are not the, are not the, the bad ones. Those are easy, y'all. Those are easy to defeat. But the hard idols to defeat are the good things. Success. Money to take care of your family, good grades, your spouse, your children, your parents. These are all good things. Yet they cannot demand first place in your life. That place is reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. One of my favorite little sermon riffs, if you've heard me preach or been in my Bible studies, you know that I love Tim Keller. Tim Keller has this little riff he's done that I, that I just steal straight from Tim Keller. He says this. Whatever that's on the throne of your heart that is not Jesus, in time, if it's not Jesus, you will destroy that thing and that thing will destroy you. Let's, let's, let's lay this out for you. Let's say... I, I love my kids. Y'all, I dro we drove to Hattiesburg and sat in the cold. And if you know me, I hate cold weather. I sat in the cold to watch a mediocre football team get beaten by another mediocre football team and nearly froze to death. But I did it because the best clarinetist in the world plays clarinet in the Southern Miss Martin Band. And I love my kids. Love my kids. Love them. They're the best. They're just awesome. They're smart like their mommy and pretty they're smart like their mom and pretty like their daddy. I mean, they're just great. They can't sit on the throne of my heart. Because here's what happens if they sit on the throne of my heart. I, I, I played football my whole life. Holly was a cheerleader. Like we're we're we like sports and football and stuff like that. My two kids would rather be beaten with a stick than have played football or done football stuff. Like that would have been pure torture to them. You know what we could have done? could have made them because it's what we wanted and if my identity is found in my child what happens with my child is not the person I want them to be what happens if they take a different path like perhaps marching band which I know nothing about what happens when my if my children are on the throne of my heart and not Jesus then when they fail, for lack of a better word, and don't do what I want them to do, then that failure goes back on me. 
and my identity is crushed because they're not what I wanted them to be. Or we take the other path and let's say, okay, fine, no, you're going to do what I want you to do. You're going to do what I think you should do because that's where my identity lies. And I make them do something they're not supposed to do. What happens then? That crushes them. Do you see what happens? If they are on the throne of my heart, then either their choices will crush me in time or my expectations will crush them in time. The only way the relationship is as God intends it to be is if Christ is on the center of my heart, if Christ is on the throne of my heart, if Christ is Lord of my life, then every other relationship in my life makes sense when Jesus is Lord. But when Jesus is not Lord, then things don't work right. And y'all, it's those good idols that are the hardest to defeat. The ones that whisper to us at night. And the one that tells us, well, no, your identity really is found in your job or in your family or in your religion or in your whatever. When the word of God tells us today, no, 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 that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. That's not where your identity is found. But where's your identity found? Your identity is found in Jesus. Your identity is found in Jesus. And we make it about everything but Jesus, y'all. It's not about religion. It's not about worship style. It's not about the correct theology. It's not about any of these things. But what it's about over and over and over and over again is Jesus. And whatever in your life that sits on the throne of your heart that is not Jesus will in time lead you astray. It's so easy, y'all. It's so easy to make our life about something other than Jesus. But every path apart from Jesus leads to something other than life. I love this passage has my favorite, one of my favorite verses of the entire Bible. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I love that concept. He is the image of the invisible God. We can't see the Father. We can't see him. The Bible says no one has seen the Father. But you know what we can see? We can see the Son. How do we see the Son? We see the Son through Scripture. So if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know what God the Father is like, if you want to know what the God of Scripture is like, look to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. Y'all, it's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. He's got to have first place in our life, y'all. He's got to have first place above all things, above our church, above our spouse, above our children, above our parents, above our work, above our reputation, above our status, above our wealth, above our house, above 
everything. All those things must submit themselves to Jesus. He must be in first place in all things. For he is king of kings and Lord of lords. It's always about him. One of my favorite kind of conversations in the Bible is uh, in the Gospels when John the Baptist is there. And the scripture says that uh, several of John's disciples had left John to go to Jesus. And, they, they, and eventually Jesus is walking by. And John's disciples say, hey, 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 there's, there's that Jesus fella. You know that one that some of our people have left to go to? What you gonna do about it? And John says this, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. And y'all, that's hard. Because I'm pretty awesome. As I think it was Randy Moss said, I love me some me. You know? No, that was Terrell Owens. That's who it was, Terrell Owens. I love, I love me some me. I don't want to decrease. I like, I like, I like doing what I want to do. <laughs> I like it being all about Andy. That's good stuff right there, y'all. I get to eat what I want to eat. Nothing but chocolate all day long. Chocolate and coffee. I eat like a child. Caffeine and sugar all day long. It's great. Do what I want. I'm never wrong. I always get in my way. It's always your fault, not mine. Love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. And that path will leave you empty and alone. I'm gonna let you on a little secret, y'all. You wanna know how to live a life where you're completely alone? You push aside everyone who loves you? And you isolate yourself? Live only for you. Live only for your wants and your desires and your dreams and your stuff. Live, live for you. Live for you. And you will push away everyone who loves you. But when we live for others, when I decrease and he increases, then we find life. When I decrease, when I humble myself, when I lay myself down before my Savior and say, not my will but yours. When I put aside my pride and my ego and my stuff and what I want and how I like it and try my best to lay that aside and follow Jesus, then I find life. And then I love him and love you more. See, I don't have a lot of room to love you if I love me too much. Like I said, I love me some me. And I would love you if you were like me. Now, if you were like me, I'd love you. But here's your problem. Here's your great problem. You need to go home and think about this, y'all. This is important. You need to go home and think about this. Why aren't you like me? That's your big problem. I'm joking for those who don't know me. It's so hard to love folks who aren't like us, isn't it? Because they're not like us. That's irritating. But when I decrease and he increases, then I have this capacity to love him 
and frankly, to love you. But it all starts with that. He is the visible image of the invisible God. To know the Father, look to the Son. And so here's the thing, y'all. I said don't meet your heroes. That's not actually true. Jesus is the hero of our story. Jesus is the hero of Scripture. Jesus is the hero of life. And he's the one hero who will not disappoint you. He's the one hero who will not fail you. He was the one hero who will not mess it up in some way. Because in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And on him the fullness of God reigns. And he is our savior. He is our hero. He is our God. He's the hero of every story. He's the hero of our story. So in fact, not only, I said don't meet your heroes. Actually, he's the one you have to meet. He's the hero you have to meet. Because apart from him, there is no life. And apart from him, there is no peace. And apart from him, there is no hope. So yeah, there is a hero we should meet. And that hero is not Will Clark. That hero is not some preacher. That hero is not some musician. That hero is not some actor or some athlete or some politician or some whatever. But there's one hero that we need to meet because that hero will change our life. And that hero is Jesus. Today, friends, I'm not looking for your church answer. You've heard the story about the, 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 the children's moment where the teacher, the, the, the leader's asking the kids, what's small and furry and has a tail, lives in a tree, eats nuts? A little kid raised his hand and said, sounds like a squirrel, but the answer's got to be Jesus. What's your life built around? I know you're going to say Jesus because you're in church, so of course you have to say Jesus. Let's put that off to the side. What's your life really built around? What is really king of your heart? What is really king of your life? And guys, I love you. I love you dearly. But whatever it is that's king of your heart, if it's not Jesus, it will be a false idol that will lead you astray. There's one hero we need to know, and that hero is Jesus. And today, if he's not king of kings of your life, if he's not Lord of lords of your life, today's the day to make that so. Let's pray.